a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there are those who believe that life here began out there. You see what I did there, Nick? Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who even now fight to survive somewhere beyond the heavens. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on tonight's Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. A long time coming with patron and dear friend of the podcast, uh, Nicholas Schaefer, Backyard Tardis. How's it going, Nick? It's going good, and I'm glad to be here. You know, uh, I, this is something that I had been needing to add on my bucket list to, to consume classic Battlestar Galactica. And it's amazed me at just how much I've seen that it has influenced other sci-fi that I love. So a long time coming, we tried to uh, plan talking about the original Battlestar Galactica a while ago, but you had told me that you had not seen it. So we had to give you enough time to see um, see if we can come up with uh, having you watch uh, the original Battlestar Galactica. And uh, I'm really glad you did, finally. Uh, we can get this show going, get it on the road. Um and uh, thank you so much, Nick, for for uh, for, for doing that. Um, it's uh, it's one of those television series and sci-fi properties that is really nostalgic for me because I, I remember watching it as a kid, um, and uh, I've got some really great experiences uh, because of it. So let's uh, let's dive right in. I wanted to ask you first of all, uh, did you enjoy your rewatch? And I forgot, was this an original watch or was this a rewatch for you as well? This was original watch. So I had seen the reboot, but I hadn't seen the original. I mean, I'd seen uh, images. I knew what the ships looked like. But I hadn't actually sat down and watched it. And uh, this is one that I'd been wanting to do. I, I like a lot of classic sci-fi. I mean, I like classic Doctor Who, classic Star Trek lost in space like i like a lot of stuff from this era so for me uh i think uh for a lot of people like they have a hard time going back but i always enjoy going back and seeing these older shows fantastic and uh older we we're talking about i think the first uh episode aired of uh, in september of 1978 and it lasted, uh, this incarnation lasted one season, and then they kind of did a, I don't want to call it a reboot, they kind of uh, reworked the show after a while, and uh, we can get that um, at, at a later show, because there's just so much to talk about this original one. Uh, so 1978, um, it, it was kind of uh, an answer uh, to uh, the the great success of uh, our very beloved franchise, Star Wars, back in 1977, the year before. But uh, there's a lot of things to to kind of um, take note of when it comes to Battlestar Galactica. You know, it was a very ambitious television show, not just for television, but for science fiction television. And uh, I'm going to mention a couple of things before that, but uh, uh, later on. But what did you think of the premise of the show? First of all, our, our thoughts on the premise. The ABC Sunday Night Movie presents the most spectacular space adventure ever filmed. 
pleasure to have uh, been involved in a, in a saga called Battlestar Galactica. Probably one of the most fun projects I was ever associated with. I guess I was influenced by a number of things uh, growing up. You know, I, I have uh, Mormon origins, but always fascinated by the theories of things, for example, Greek mythology and the pyramids. I loved von Daniken's Chariot of the Gods. I got fascinated by all those themes, and what emerged was Battlestar Galactica. Oh, I love the, the, the premise. First, you, you have this you know, concept of them being descendants from Earth, but so far away, and we'll get later into how that ends up tying in. But um, you know, it, it it's like its own spin on a galaxy far, far away. You know, they're they're out there, but they're very much human, and they're they're running from the Cylons, which are you know machines. And this is coming at an age when computers are starting to take over, and there's you know people have that fear at that time. You know, computers are taking our jobs. And so this is really kind of putting that on screen, showing these robots coming after they pretty much wipe out. And now it's just a ragtag group trying to survive. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mentioned early on in the intro that this was kind of an answer to Star Wars uh, great success on the big screen. But uh, the creator, Glenn Larson, had some development troubles even back in the 1960s. I think this show um, was thought of by Glenn Larson back in the 60s. Um, and there's a lot of I was doing a little research. There's some kind of religious undertones to the show. If you have not seen it, um, it's nothing that beats you over the head. It's just kind of some some religious undertones. I also want to uh, mention the fact that you know, I, I watched this show because um, I think it's fascinating, Ancient Aliens. And I love just hearing, you know, the creators of Ancient Aliens kind of come up with these theories about um, the ancient astronaut theory is what they kind of cling to. And I love uh, and this has a lot to do with that, um, or at least it's related. So there's a lot of like really cool and interesting stuff embedded in the story of Battlestar Galactica. You mentioned, you know, the uh, the the. The, the human race. Uh, we'll get into the story a little bit um, in, in a little while, but I, I think uh, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting to kind of uh, unpack a lot of that stuff. I think um, again, I was doing some research. There's some aspect of Mormonism in, embedded here. Um, obviously, there's a lot of Egyptian iconology. Um, and obviously you, you also mentioned that, uh, you know, this series kind of has a lot of, uh, influences in, in modern sci-fi. Um, the name of the, of the movie is escaping me. Uh, Spader was in it. What the hell's the name oh, of it? Stargate. Yes. Yeah, Stargate. And right. a little bit the movie, but I was going to say the, uh, TV show that followed it. Um, I, I can tell you without even having directly heard him say it, that Brad Wright from that show has showrunner of that show has to be a fan of classic Battlestar Galactica because so many story beats uh, that they put throughout that show are ripped straight from Battlestar Galactica. That's cool. That's cool. So let's, uh, let's get into some of the detail of the show. Um, I have been 
preparing for this episode for a really long time. Like I said, Battlestar Galactica is, is something that is very nostalgic when I watch it. Um, I've got the DVDs, but I started rewatching the uh, the series. And, you know, the, the series goes into uh, some, some weirdness there because it was re-edited. It was released as a movie later on. Um, so there's a lot of re-edits. And actually, I started re- doing my rewatch on Tubi. Um, you can watch the series on Tubi. And the That's first two episodes, right. So the first two episodes, the two, uh, was it two or the the first three episodes? Anyways, the first couple of episodes were basically the, the, the movie re-edited into episodic format. Um, I did notice some, some differences and they went back and they reshot some story pl- points um, and recut the, the movie. Um, when I was watching, I think one of the things that I, I'm really familiar with is the actual movie, the standalone film um, that was released in theaters uh, in the U S and Canada um, for a while there. And I got to tell you too, it's, you know, people know that I love star Wars, but for me, the most uh, memorable movie film going experience in the theater was Battlestar Galactica Um, for one reason. And one reason alone obviously my love for sci-fi but the, the audio in the movie theater when the uh, when the explosions hit and when the vipers launched from the galactica were so loud and you can feel the seats rumble i i i just thought that was an amazing experience for me as a kid and while i was doing the research i guess universal had a sound technology that rivaled thx's at the time um called Sensoround and it was called a Sensoround process and it was the last film uh that was produced that uh, that used that so something that I did not know when I was doing the research for for this episode I I kind of took note of that it's too bad you you didn't see it in the theater I think you would have enjoyed it immensely oh most definitely this this definitely especially the pilot but really uh, a good portion of the show had a very cinematic feel to it if it, it uh, it's one of those things where you were talking about like the Viper launching sound. And when I was hearing it, the thought that came to my mind is like, that reminded me of being at a theme park. Uh, like at uh, like Disneyland or something when space mountain launches you. Like, it's just that, that um, sound that it just kind of, right. and uh, it, it really, it's impactful. And it's something that I could hear that clip outside of the show, and I would know that's Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, absolutely. Section 12, Launch Bay Alpha, standby to launch Fighter Pro. The show is impressive in that it... uh, the model work and that, and it, it kind of goes to a little bit of its, uh, uh, both its benefit and downfall is that it had a lot of the production overlap uh, with Star Wars. So uh, right in that era of working a whole bunch with, with models and doing that. And that's the other thing that I found really impressive, very cinematic, was the model quality that they had there. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you you just mentioned a crossover with Star Wars. There are so many things that crossed over with Star Wars. Um, I want to mention John Dykstra, who was in charge of doing all the special effects for Battlestar Galactica. And for folks that um, are lovers of behind the scenes uh, trivia, John Dykstra also uh, was uh, a pivotal, had a pivotal role in photographing Star Wars special effects. You've got the Dykstra Flex uh, camera system, the uh, the ability to create uh, you know certain shots uh, over and over again um, attached to a computer. So all of that stuff was pivotal to the to the look and feel of Battlestar Galactica, and obviously the same goes for Star Wars. Um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Ralph McQuarrie also did some uh, designs for Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and obviously, we all know uh, Macquarie's name for the design of uh, ships and scenes and, and environments for for Star Wars. So I, I find um, I found them I find those relationships uh, interesting. And obviously, you know, nobody talks about Battlestar Galactica being um, visualized as a used universe the way Star Wars is, and there are very many qualities to that in Battlestar Galactica that are similar to Star Wars. Um, I was just watching uh, the, you know, one of the episodes last night, uh, Apollo, um, we'll get into the characters in a bit. Apollo was climbing out of a a Viper as he landed on, on a planet and beautiful shot. I mean, these are um, set pieces and and props that were beautifully made. Um, I would love to have a colonial Viper in my backyard. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, they, they really, I mean, they rival, uh, X-Wings and, and, um, the Colonial Viper is, is such a, a, a beautiful piece of equipment, um, in the show. But, um, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the ships and the design of, uh, of everything that we saw in the show? So the, yeah, uh, a lot of it harkens to other stuff that I really love, like the Viper and the X-Wing are very close in design and, um, there's not definites on this, but doing a little research, it, uh, George Lucas had a little problem with that. And yeah, uh, it, right. it looked like the Viper was possibly a design that he had passed on. And that the, so they were, they were reusing, you know, the studio that he had hired to do his model work. Like they, they were using stuff that he rejected and uh, you know, they didn't want that work to go to waste. And the Viper, great, amazing design. And it's it's just one of those things that uh, um, it while it it gave it such an iconic look, it was also what what kind of doomed the show was that there was there was such a uh, a similarity to Star Wars that it, it created lawsuits there. But uh, the other thing that uh, me as a huge Stargate fan, uh, when I saw the classic Battlestar Galactica, I realized that the ships in Stargate are very much based on that ship and design. And so that was something like me as somebody going back, watching something, I thought, Oh, well, that's, that's like what inspired this. And uh, I, I just love the, the Viper base, the, because a lot of ships have um, scenes, but this has a, a dedicated part of the ship where they're going in and out and you're seeing that constantly. And it's a big part of the show. Absolutely. You mentioned the lawsuits, and uh, we'll mention a couple of them. I think from what I remember back in the day, 
Um, obviously, these two shows had a lot of similarities uh, between each other. Uh, the look and the feel you had, um, I think for the first time in a long time, uh, laser blasts, obviously taking a look at Star Wars and how lasers are portrayed, especially from uh, hand weapons, blasters. Um, I remember there was some controversy between the production where uh, George Lucas accused uh, the folks at Battlestar Galactica for um, copying um, the laser blasts. Um, so there was a lawsuit there. And then what I think Universal countered that with uh, getting another lawsuit that accused Lucas of copying, um, I think it was the uh, the boxy droid from Logan's Run. So there was a lot of lawsuits back and forth uh, between production. And I think, uh, you know, when you see the, um, the pilot, uh, whenever one of the colonial warriors fires at a Cylon um, from a blaster, a hand weapon, instead of the traditional red laser blast leaving the weapon, you see just kind of like a flash. And I think that was the the adjustment that was made to satisfy um, the lawsuit uh, between the two companies. So it's an interesting thing uh, to uh, to think about. Uh, which is, it's kind of fascinating, um, in the world of, of, you know, sci-fi television. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned a while back, uh, you know, the, the, the television show was very ambitious and, and especially for science fiction. Very much uh, so. And, it, you know, it's, uh, it's a testament to the fact that, you know, Glenn Larson and the producers of the show really wanted to have, uh, you know, science fiction, episodic television. And this was even before, you know, before Star Wars was streaming, obviously, before anything uh, was um, was as cinematic, like you said, uh, you know, nothing, nothing really touched that. I mean, I remember the uh, the cast of the show was on every cover of every magazine um, in the uh, in the early 70s, you know, 1978, when the, the show was released you know, TV guide and, and Fangoria even, I mean, Starlog, all those magazines back in the day and not just fan magazines, you know, you had, uh, just mainstream magazines cause the show was a hit. Um, yeah. imagine, you know, imagine all the, the, the buzz, um, back in the day, obviously star Wars was, uh, up and running, but you had, you know, something very similar to that in, on the small screen. And I think, uh, you know, that's one of the, the reasons that uh, the show has created such a fan base in and itself. And it's a cult classic. Yeah. I mean, if I were just looking at its budget and uh, how it is, it, it's almost like a made for TV movie. So it's it's not a TV budget and it's not a movie full budget, but it's it's just kind of right there in between. And, and I would say the pilot is movie budget. It's it's really out there. And I think that's where they spent, they got the sets and they did that. And they, they kind of put a movie budget into that. And then some of the episodes are more episodic, but um, definitely kind of a, a cut above. Um, like when you're looking at uh, the classic uh, sci-fis, uh, they can get, they can get a little goofy at times. And uh, probably the only thing that maybe I, would give a, me kind of that that goofy sci-fi nostalgia is when they show the uh, the Cylon leader. By order of the Imperious leader through his commander Baltar, 
You are to disengage at once and move with all dispatch to Gamore to save our imperious leader. You know, and he kind of he kind of looks like you know your typical uh, robot guy with a with, with a funny uh, fixed face and stuff. But uh, <laughs> uh, other than that, like the, the like even the, the Cylons, you know, they they're as complex as is a stormtrooper costumes. Absolutely, I'm gonna. Um... I'm going to ask our Twitter friends uh, which they prefer because the Cyline, again, is a fan favorite. It's uh, iconic. Uh, the You know, that look of that uh, red eye just going back and forth. Um, and it's, you know, very um, inspirational to other shows as well. You've got Knight Rider with the same kind of uh, red eye technology that goes back and forth on the hood. Let's uh let's go into the cast of the show because I think the cast um for the most part for me really sold it. I think they did a a great job. Um the writers did a really great job in um having them each I guess relate to each other, the relationships between the characters. Um you know, we talked about how uh a lot of people talked about how Star Trek, it's not really Star Trek if it doesn't have that core uh, relationship between Spock, Kirk, and Bones. And I think, um, I don't know if Glenn Larson took that on and and did it on purpose, but you can say the same thing about the three characters in this show. You've got uh, Starbuck, Captain Apollo, and Boomer. These munition bunkers could be a nice diversion until we penetrate the headquarters. Shouldn't take too much to blow them sky high. Go! Yeah! Uh, who are played marvelously by uh, Dirk Benedict, Richard Hatch, and Herbert Jefferson Jr. Uh, just great, great chemistry between the three actors um, that I think made the show. Are there any favorite actors or characters uh, on, on your end that you want to mention? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Starbuck definitely, you know, that's got uh, that Han Solo swagger. Yeah. You know, he's... Um, and it, it was interesting for me having watched the reboot first and seeing Katie Sackhoff being Starbuck. And I know for a lot of people, that was probably a big hurdle when that show first came out that were fans of the original and, uh, getting to see that character from that. He, he definitely, um, they both play kind of broken characters, uh, but, uh, his has definitely got more humor to it more more um humor to his, his his swagger so to speak and uh i really liked how he could they're in dire situations and at the end he's you know cracking a joke and putting a cigar in his mouth yeah it's funny you mentioned that they're both broken characters i think um starbuck in the original series didn't dive too much into his backstory, um, I don't remember. I think, you know, obviously having only one season, you know, if, if it went on to more, they probably would have, you know, kind of gone into his uh, his story. I know there was a, a plenty of novels and, and uh, comic books uh, that were written after the show was canceled. Um, 
But, you know, you mentioned his humor. I think Dirk Benedict did such a wonderful job in portraying Lieutenant Starbuck. Um, And you're right. For me, watching the reboot on the sci-fi channel of Battlestar Galactica was a little off-putting because they changed a lot. Um, You know, uh, you you mentioned Starbuck. Starbuck now is, is is a female character. Um, Boomer is, uh, an Asian female, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that, and, uh, a little spoiler there is a Cylon. Right. So that's, uh, that was, uh, you know, Cylons, uh, as tall buxom blondes kind of didn't register to me either. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, it's, uh, really, really great. Like I said, you know, these, uh, these actors, and then, you know, getting Lauren Green involved, uh, who was a, a big star back in the day, too. I mean, it brought a certain gravitas to, to, the, to the show uh, to be able to play against, uh, you know, just a, a great actor as uh, Lauren Green. Surely you don't cling to your suspicions about the Cylons. They asked for this armistice. They want peace. Forgive me, Mr. President, but they hate us with every fiber of their existence. We love freedom, we love independence, to feel, to question, to resist oppression. To them, it's an alien way of existing they will never accept. These are really great actors that are are playing these roles, bigger than life. You know, not unlike the actors that we are used to in Star Wars, but... um, I, I think they're fantastic. Um, any other thoughts on, on the characters, uh, their chemistry, well, I, what do you think? Um, I was also going to say that, like, some of the the uh, additional cast, like, especially, like, uh, Adama, uh, what an amazing performance there. And really um, doing the captain right, because he's constantly having to deal with his own personal, I mean, it's his, his son and the man he raised like a son that he's sending out into battle. Um, but sometimes he has to make the tough call that we're not going to go search for them. And, and you, he really conveys the struggle there. Um, but he also um, is trying to hold on to um, the, the government and not, not, not become a totalitarian. Cause we look at the world and like any time when, uh, we see in sci-fi like stuff really go to the extreme, you know, post-apocalyptic and the military takes over and it always becomes like a military dictatorship. But he's really bent on, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to be um, in complete control of this fleet. There's still going to be a civilian government. And uh, that adds kind of a, a real depth to his character of principles. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, I found very interesting in the series. You know, um, we talk about Star Wars having this inclination of, you know, using the force versus, uh, you know, the the Empire, um, where the Empire is like more mechanical and, uh, you know, the good guys are more you know, they love freedom and, and the humanity, you know, Battlestar Galactica has a very similar themes where, you know, it's humanity, <clears throat> humanity versus the mechanical as well, obviously portrayed by the Cylon empire. Um, the Cylons being these, uh, these robots, these droids that, uh, that everyone loves. 
Um, and obviously, the fleet in Battlestar Galactica escaping that oppression. Um, you know, the the pilot episode has a great line where Adama basically, you know, discusses that. Um, let's get into a little bit of the plot since I'm mentioning that, you know, the pilot or the, uh, the, you know, the movie as it came out to be, um, the, we are introduced to this world, um, through politics once again. And I know a lot of people are like, uh, poo poo on politics in, in sci-fi, but, uh, you know, that's for me, the politics in star Wars in universe is really fascinating to me. And I think it's the same thing here. Um, you've got uh, two groups that are about to uh, sign uh, or come to a peace agreement, and uh, one of them is not being uh, 100% truthful, um, that being the uh, the Cylon Empire. Um, so it, it does get into some very interesting politics when it comes to the oppression of one people. And like I said, later on, uh, Lauren Green's uh, character, Commander Adama, really goes into why this conflict uh, comes to be. You know, they wanted to help their neighbors, um, you know, be free from the oppression of the Cylons. And that kind of threw them into the mix uh, and uh, drew the attention of the Cylon Empire. And now they are, you know, running from them. But um, uh what do you think about the, the the way that the story opens the politics of Battlestar Galactica? Do you uh, do you find it interesting? Yes, most definitely. And um, I think one of the things I find most interesting, you know, going back to the characters a little bit, is is Baltar. Like the mm. the concept of of the traitor and. It's unique because he's playing a true um, Judas type character because in in all sane retrospect, whatever whatever gain he could have got from the Cylons for the destruction of the 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 human race, basically enslavement, like it, it's very short sighted. And so it, it reminded me a lot of the like the biblical application of Judas Iscariot, who who believed Jesus was the Messiah, but gave him up for 30 pieces of silver. It, uh, and he's, he's always conniving, always scheming. He's never really redeemable, but you can count on him if it's in his best interest. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, like I said, there's a lot of, uh, you know, politics in there, a lot of uh, throwbacks to religious uh, stories. You know, I, I think that's one of the really cool things I love about sci-fi in general or fantasy. Um, you know, everybody sees the shiny spaceships flying through space and the laser swords and and, and, and things like that. But, you know, when, when you cut all that back, the core story is the story about human survival and, and conflict with uh, man versus man. And I, I think that's that's probably, to me, one of the most interesting things about science fiction and all the movies that we watch. I think it's really great. Um, obviously the, the, the shiny ships keeps it kind of interesting. Uh, but like I said, you know, we, we, uh, we peel back the facade of the shiny ships and we really get into relationships, whether it's, uh, you know, relationships with, with each other or just relationships in general. And I, I, I find that fascinating as uh, Spock would say. Yeah. And I think uh, when it comes to, well, I mean, just politics in um, uh, sci-fi in general is when they 
um, keep it vague. They don't, um, they go, oh, this is this party and this is that party. Uh, then it can, then it can alienate the audience. But when you're talking about ideas, um, you know, like when we, we saw how Star Trek introduced diversity, they just were on the bridge and it, it brought right. that in there. And here we have a situation where uh, the idea that this is a, a warrior race of of robots that have no reason to surrender or make peace. But if there's a chance for peace, we've got to take it. And Adama stands by that even after it goes so horribly wrong for them that they still had to have made that call. And I think that's that's a real powerful thing. And just showing that, you know, sometimes things aren't always the right decision or this, but you do have to stick uh, to your morals and principles. Absolutely. And, you know, these characters, especially Adama, you mentioned Adama, you know, played by Lauren Green and, and his son, uh, Apollo. Um, they are. I think they are the moral compass of the show. I think uh, together, you know, there's a couple of scenes throughout the series where they're both interacting um, and they're making these decisions for the greater good of the fleet, not just themselves, but uh, they, they want to be able to, you know, they're, they're kind of putting everyone in check. You know, there's an episode later on um, where, you know, they, they escaped the, uh, the initial attack of the Cylons. And now these people that have basically just, uh, grabbed whatever ship they could to fly off into space with the, with the Battlestar Galactica to, uh, to flee from the Cylons, they have no food. And there's one ship in particular called the rising star where, you know, that ship, uh, was kind of a luxury cruiser cruiser. And um, there happened to be a lot of food there, but it was only being enjoyed by a small few, the 1%, if you will. Would you like to make a statement before I arrest you, Sire Yuri? I'm glad you know my name. At least you know from where the blade fell. I'm gonna give you about a micron to join me on my shuttle. After that, I'll just turn the six levels of starving passengers beneath you loose and let you take your chances with them. Captain. Why don't you join us in our prayer of gratitude for deliverance? In case it eluded you, Counselor, some hundred people have died since our deliverance from the Cylons. And while hunger hasn't yet taken a life, it's only a matter of time now. Boomer, notify Corps Command that we have located some stores which we will distribute as far as they go. No, it's mine. It belongs to me and my guests. Does your wife share your feelings about denying your food to others? My wife? Cyrus Yuri, I don't see her. Unfortunately, she was not in time to make the voyage. My sympathies. All right, time for the big thank yous, podcast family, to those of you that support the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. Team Scarif gives you all a heartfelt thank you, wonderful people who have found it in their hearts to support our show. We're super lucky to have you. Folks like Amanda, Jedi Caligula 89, Joey Rosales, What Up Joey, The Salty Crew at the Salty Nerd Podcast, Alex and Matt, super fan of many of the Red 5 Network pods, Nicholas Schaefer, follow him at Backyard Tardis. What's up, Nick? Our Star Wars celebration friend, Chad, at Hyperspace and Holocrons. Jay from Florida, our other Floridians, Frank, at the Garrison level. Big thanks. 
And looking at you, Steve, from Rogue One Radio. Check out that Red 5 pod for movies, music, TV, and more. And certainly not least, our executor-level patrons, 97 Bravo and the Conversions Podcast. And Scott and Kim from the Used and Abused Podcast. Big thank you, Red Fivers. Go give them a follow. And our newest garrison-level patron, Melanie Marquita. Big hugs to you, my friend. Huge respect to all our patrons for your support. And if you want to become more involved in the Scare of Scuttlebutt community and feel like becoming a patron, head over to patreon.com slash scare scuttlebutt. Remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. And don't forget, it's always sunny on Scarif with patrons like you. Weekly television um, really, you know, from an episodic standpoint, uh, back in the day, I don't know how much it does that today, but it does kind of have a a morality play. I don't know if uh, what you thought of that. You know, you've got there's an episode called the lost warrior um that uh apollo lands on this planet he's out of fuel but there's a uh, a rogue cylon um who doesn't kind of doesn't remember he's a cylon or somebody takes control of him when one of the characters takes control but there's a great um there's a great underlying theme in that story and uh apollo is um asked to use his laser blaster to 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 kind of take control of the town um but he doesn't he uh he opts to uh to go with reason and uh and some form of dignity up until the point where he tries to find out what is going on in that town um but again just you know just kind of a morale a morality play week uh you know on a weekly basis um, what are, um, I mentioned the lost warrior, but you know, we can get into like our favorite episodes our favorite, uh, story arcs. The, the lost warrior is a really good one. I like how in that one, you know, it kind of takes it to more simpler, like the, these settlers on this planet. And that's one of the things that Battlestar Galactica does well is it has all these different, um, colonies or settlements and they're all kind of at different development levels. So they can go down and they can have a much more simplistic story. And that had the the, the Cylon and uh, Viper pilot had crashed there before the Cylon was damaged, got repaired. And the Viper pilot was uh, the young boy's dad. Right. And he'd, he'd been, he'd, he had tried to take on red eyes and wasn't quick enough on the draw. And so you had a real good, pool there if you you have this kid is like yeah this guy's here he's he's the hero he's gonna save our town and the the mom like i can't i can't live through that again uh attitude and so it gave uh, a real classic almost western style uh, drama points there uh but yet we're getting uh our killer robot and uh lasers laser guns yeah absolutely absolutely still an adventure of the week um but um i i think we skipped over um a big part of uh of the story here um when we first uh, encounter the uh, the battle battlestar galactica the uh the battlestar the ship is one of many battlestars that are assigned to kind of protect the home world um the name of the home world is uh what was it uh carol no not caroline <laughs> caprica caprica 
Um, and uh, here's the thing too that I noticed. I love that they kind of use like astrological names. You got Caprica, um, you've got uh, you know Aries. So all the 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 star signs, the astrological signs, are kind of used. And I don't think that's on. Uh, you know, the, uh, that is a mistake. You know, obviously, the, like I'm talking about the the aspects of astrology and and the study of the stars and things like that. Um, it kind of lends to the lore of the fact that, you know, the ancestors of mankind were from the stars and kind of seeded themselves throughout the galaxy. And now yeah. it gives us kind of a familiarity to uh, to the names, really, you know, from a, maybe from an extraterrestrial perspective. Um, and even even the helmets that the uh, Colonial Vipers wear, they are very reminiscent of... Uh, of ancient Egyptian sarcophagus, you know, coverings, which I love. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a show that's well designed and well thought out, uh, thought of when it comes to the behind the scenes stuff. Um, what did you think of that aspect? Oh, I, I love the design. I love um, kind of the mixing in the, um, the, the ancient civilization, you know, cause we look at the, the past here on the earth and we see stuff that shows that at some point mankind was more developed and they had some sort of setback. Um, and so we look at that. And so the idea that they went out, they actually made it into space, went out exploring, settling other planets all before that technology was lost here on earth. Uh, really uh, kind of, gives the show a unique vibe because and it, it's interesting for for all that it is when we get to the the 80s series we find out that all of this is happening in our present day so this is happening out there at the same time everything's happening here on earth and we're just unaware of it these these other humans and other things and you know you were talking about the different planets um um, I think the Doctor Who fan in me got real excited when I heard them say uh, Alpha Centauri, and <laughs> you know it's mentioned in so many different sci-fi's, but like that was like the instant thing. I was like, oh yeah, that planet from Doctor Who. So uh, it, you know, it's a it, a lot of references to actual um, you know constellations and stars and different things sure. that we have um, grounds the show in a way. So even Absolutely. though it's so fantasyful, having Having those elements really grounds the show. I think that's one of the one of the secrets of of its success. Um, you know, the the grounding of the show. I mean, they're they're out there. They're searching for the uh, lost thirteenth colony, and it's us. How cool yeah. is that? Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who even now fight to survive somewhere beyond the heavens. The other thing I think uh, that really helps is they they give the the humans that they're flawed. They're very much like us. They're very flawed, and so they're um, very relatable. And um, so even though ones like Apollo and Starbuck and Adama, they have very good morals, very uh, as far as like uh, qualities of right and wrong and that kind of stuff. The same time, they're not perfect people, and sure. they are very flawed. 
Uh, and so that, that really good. And then the same thing with the technology, uh, they did a really good job. One of the things that a lot of sci-fi suffers from is they make the technology too good at first. And so then making plots to episodes is more about how do we make the technology fail and them constantly having to deal with, with uh, food shortage, dealing with fuel consumption. They were always out of fuel, the range of a Viper getting in and out of scanner range. And the idea of if, if the fleet is constantly moving to avoid that, if, if the Viper got too far behind, um, you know, it's, it's the blackness, vastness of space, like finding them would be impossible. So there's constantly that threat of anytime something happens that somebody gets left behind. If, if they don't get back soon, they're gone forever. Warm scan positive. Multiple three passenger vehicles. Cylon attack craft. So they spring their trap. Enemy approaching. 90 microns. I think uh, you know the, the the technology of Battlestar Galactica is pretty cool. It's uh, it's very different from Star Wars in that uh, in Battlestar Galactica, you know, there's a company called Textronics which um, provided all the scopes and all the equipment on the bridge and uh, in the uh, the Vipers. And Tektronics is a company that is uh, very well known in my industry, uh, television production, because it's a it's an electronics company that provides um, scopes and measurement uh, equipment for the television and radio and transmission um, industry. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of real world equipment on the bridge, which you know also lends to the credibility of, of the show. Um, it's stuff that, you know, back in 1978, a lot of people just don't see, you know, you don't see the inside of, a uh, of a television transmission room. You don't see the, uh, the inside of a TV control room. So this is all, this was all stuff that was fairly new to the general public. Um, but it's stuff that existed nonetheless. So I think it also kind of goes a long way of making that, um, that reality of Battlestar Galactica a little bit more believable, which I think is cool. And I definitely think that, um, you know, technology-wise, you look at uh, Star Wars, which is, you know, like the, the, the fantasy sci-fi, you know, they hit the button and the ship goes. And then if it doesn't go, they go and bang a tool against a wall until it goes. You know, then you go to Star Trek where the technology is is all science kind of based, but it's it's so superior. It's so... That, that everything just seems to work. They have to come up with situations to make it not work. Whereas this kind of sits in the middle, you know, it's, it's got a very, um, almost like a fifties drama play, uh, sort of sense to it. Like they're adventuring, they're out there, they're, they're doing this. So it, it has a little bit of that fantasyful, but it's also, uh, practical you know they're using gas they're using engines they're they're using terms like fighter jets use so um it kind of it grounds it a little bit more than star wars but it doesn't get um into techno babble like star trek and it doesn't it doesn't make everything overpowered like oh well you know we'll just use the transporter and 
that at least until um, Battlescar uh, Galactic the 80s series. <laughs> then then, then well, they can time travel and turn their ships invisible and right. just about everything else. Well, the uh, the 80s is a whole nother animal. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Everybody listen to me. I want everybody to move quickly and orderly towards the exits. That is an order. Stay where you are. I'm in charge here. Oh, the man says he's in charge. We, um, we talked about, uh, you know, Lauren Green, one of the actors uh, in the show. There were a lot of guest stars through the course of the uh, the series, and I wanted to touch a little bit on uh, some of the favorite actors that you had. You know, the uh, the pilot even had, um, and some folks may not remember a uh, a very famous '80s singer. Uh, and also um, big Star Wars action figure collector, um, Rick Springfield, who was uh, in the pilot. And uh, speaking of pilot, he was a pilot. He was um, Apollo's little brother who uh, we see in the in the pilot in the movie. And um, spoilers, uh, you know, he gets shot down by Cylons, which is tragic. But um, he's one of the, uh, you know, one of the guest starring actors that appeared in the series. Uh, we had a lot of them. We had a lot of legendary um, actors come on. Um, what were some of your favorites through uh, through the series? That's going to be a little hard for me because I don't recognize the names of a lot of these actors. But there are people like I'm watching it and I go, I remember that guy from Magnum. I remember <laughs> yeah, that right. guy. You know, um, it was even the 80s series. I was like, that's one of the main guys from the MacGyver show. (laughs) I was like, uh, so it's a cool time capsule looking back at that because there's, there was a lot, um, you could really see that like, this was something that had a lot of promotion behind it. And I think a lot of actors wanted to get it. So you had a lot of great actors that played minor roles on one episode. And and so that's that's really cool when a show has that when it's a show that everybody wants to get on, and right. they're you know lining up and to do that with only one season, absolutely is 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 what really uh, stood out to me is like I I'm recognizing a lot of faces from other stuff. One of the things that Battlestar Galactica had were a lot of familiar faces, and um, earlier you mentioned how you started to recognize a lot of people. I did the same thing, funny enough. I did the same thing when I did my Space 1999 rewatch, (laughs) and that is a show that will probably have you back on because you love watching some of the old stuff. Uh, But Space 1999, I remember I'm like, oh my God, that guy's from Star Wars. Oh, there's uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. I didn't know he was in this. Uh, oh, there's Count Dooku. He's in this too. Holy crap. There's a lot of Star Wars actors that were in um, Space 1999 before Star Wars. So it was really cool to see. Um, but the same goes for Battlestar Galactica. You had uh, some great actors. And obviously you mentioned how when a show is so successful, everybody and their grandmother wants to be on there. Um, and that was certainly the case for Battlestar Galactica, the original series. This is Lauren Green. Here are scenes from previous episodes of Battlestar Galactica. The final annihilation of the life form known as man. Let the attack begin. 
And what is the standing order for humans from your imperious leader? Extermination. Then carry out your orders. I wouldn't put this really... I mean, there's a little bit of a... You know, when it, when it's the end of the episode and they all say a joke and kind of uh, smile towards the camera, it does have kind of like that a little bit of that sitcom uh, corn to it, but not not overly, not enough to take you out of it. And it is very much it harkens back to me, um, like almost say it has uh, the feel of stuff like uh, Swiss Family Robinson or. Um, um, a little bit like Flash Gordon, like the the adventure of the week, that adventure feel. There's it's a constantly an adventure because it's basically a show. Uh, like you compare it to Star Wars, like if we had a show just about X-wing pilots, week to week going on their adventures. You know, it's the adventure part of it, and so that's that's what I really like. Um, and you know, it, it pays a, a good counterbalance to something like Star Trek. That is also adventure, but that's more about exploring, discovering what they find. And this is more about um, almost like an old West story, you know, just surviving, getting through this this situation and, and the adventure of surviving. You just mentioned Lost in Space, and um, I was going to quiz you on a little uh, trivia, the relationship between Lost in Space and Battlestar Galactica. Um uh, do you know that one? I feel like I should. Um, <laughs> you should. You should. It's something that uh, that is really cool to kind of uh, to know. Come on, Nick. Think. Think real hard. What relationship does uh, Lost in Space have with the original Battlestar Galactica? I haven't watched Lost in Space since I was a kid. <laughs> you, you've got me stumped, so... Uh, we said this is going to be a two-parter, so maybe I'll go watch a couple episodes of Lost in Space and see if, because uh, I know you're you're hinting at something that that's got to do with a voice. So I bet there's an actor crossover there that I'm not. I'm oh, not and I'm catching. sure, yeah, I'm sure our listeners right now are yelling at the radio because they probably they might know uh, what the answer is. I'll give you uh, I'll give you this one. And I'll uh, I'll tell you what it is because, like I said, there is going to be a, a second part. There's a lot more to discuss on Battlestar Galactica, but actor Jonathan Harris from Lost in Space, who played Doctor Smith, also voiced the droid the Lucifer. Okay. He is uh, he is Lucifer, um, the uh, the droid that is. Um, placed as the number two in command by the imperious leader when when the imperious leader gives uh baltar a uh a a command of uh of their own cylon base star so take a listen to lucifer and uh you'll hear the very familiar jonathan harris dr smith voice by your command This has been fun talking about, uh, you know, the the 70s series and just how good it is. Um, as we go into when we get to our next part, uh, one of the things I want to talk about that, that will involve this series will be uh, the War of the Gods and how pivotal 
that is to Stargate. Okay. Um, so Perfect. seeing the influences there and uh, also, you know, we had a little confusion. What, what took this so long to get is that I saw on Tubi, it just puts the 80s series as season two. Yeah, I saw online. Everybody said it was really bad, and I just, I just like, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> and then I watched it. And you didn't realize that's what I was waiting for. Right. So now, yeah, gotta, yeah. Now that I've got to watch it, uh, we've got to talk about it. I got, I got to pour the salt on that. And oh my uh, god, yeah. And then we can talk a bit about uh, the reboot and you know the differences and um, both what what they have in common and how they went very different. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. When, um, when I asked you that one time about, you know, what's taking you so long, you're like, Oh no, I'm almost done with the uh, season two. And I'm thinking season two, there was only one season. And I, I didn't realize that, uh, that they did put in Galactica 1980 as the second season. Um, but you know, there is one episode of Galactica 1980 that is definitely worth talking about. And we'll get to it in part two of this series because, um, I know what one you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And I, um, I won't say what the name is because I want our uh, our view, our listeners to again to start yelling at the radio. I think that's a lot of fun to have them do. But uh, absolutely, um, part two of Battlestar Galactica here on the the uh, Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Looking forward to that. Um, but uh, Nick, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to talk about this. I know. We uh, we talked about this for a really long time. I almost want to say a better part of the year. Yeah, this is uh, I, I've really enjoyed going back and watching this and uh, expanding my fandom. I'm also I'm kind of glad that I got to watch uh, the reboot first uh, because uh, I'm a kind of person who can appreciate the original. Um but I wasn't offended by any of the changes and, but going back, man, this had a lot of charm. It had, and it's a real shame that it didn't get to go longer. I think it's a, it's a real shame. I think, you know, they even tried, I know Star Trek actors uh, started to do their own campaigns uh, when there was no Star Trek and they started doing their own thing. Um, there, uh, there was also a campaign to kind of reboot Battlestar Galactica, even before the sci-fi channel version. Um, we had, uh, actors, uh, like, uh, you know, Dirk, uh, Dirk Benedict and, um, you know, poor Richard Hatch, I, I think, um, you know, uh, always bums me out to, to realize that he is no longer with us. Um, but, uh, he, um, also kind of spearheaded a Battlestar Galactica series that, uh, that he took on himself. And I think they spent some money to try to, you know, create something special with all the original actors. And, uh, a lot of them still do, uh, convention appearances. I would love to, uh, talk to Herbert Jefferson, uh, Lieutenant Boomer, and uh, some of the other actors who are, again, still do the convention run. I think there is a certain magic between all the actors. It's it's a fantastic show with a lot of charm, like you said. Um, and it's a shame that it didn't go longer. I mean, it's 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 a perfect thing to grab the, the family around, uh, snuggle up with your daggett and, and put it on. <laughs> Absolutely.
we got to wrap this up. But uh, like I said, Nicholas, uh, thank you so much for joining uh, joining me. Uh, I've been wanting to do this episode for a really long time. I'm so ecstatic that you were able to watch this and enjoy this uh, this this show and and talk about it with me. Um, looking forward to part two. Uh, but in the meantime, um, why don't you tell the folks where, uh, where people can find you and what you guys are up to, what you're up to. Yeah, I'm the Backyard Tardis, both on uh, Twitter and YouTube. Um, I'm a locksmith. I am typically uh, in between jobs. I sit in the back of my van and I record videos. Uh, no fuss, no muss. Uh, sometimes there's stories about my locksmithing career, a little funny antidotes that I get into. And then also just my love of sci-fi, just talking about things. Uh, my Backyard Tardis Random Thoughts podcast is just really me uh, talking about whatever's going on. And, and the big thing is I, I love sci-fi, but I also love podcasts. So I'm talking about a lot of other podcasts, a lot about discussions that are going on in the podcast world. And that's a way that I can I can jump in the conversation because podcasts are what get me uh, through the workday. I know we uh, appreciate your support. Uh, you are one of uh, Red Five's uh, most uh, beloved uh, supporters of uh, a lot, many of our podcasts, uh, not only on the Red Five, but I know you listen to other podcasts as well. So uh, uh, bless your soul and thank you so much for, for your support on that. That's really awesome. Guys, thank you very much. Uh, this has been uh, such a wonderful discussion on the original Battlestar Galactica. There was somebody, uh, Tabitha from Inside the Booth, that realized, didn't realize that uh, she was watching the rebooted Battlestar Galactica. I told her about the, uh, asked her if she's ever seen the original, and she had no idea what I was talking about. So that, oh. uh, hope- <laughs> She's a Star Trek fan. She's going to like the original. She's going to like it. What a crime. What a crime. So uh, just uh, uh, again, big thanks. If you just stumbled on this episode and loved Battlestar Galactica as much as we did, thank you very much for finding us. And thank you very much for uh, yelling back at your radio. I know you did that a couple of times during this episode. I want to say thank you for finding us. Uh, give us a, uh, a follow and subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel. We do some really fun stuff, especially Saturday nights on Scarif Live. We'll be doing some reviews and things that are uh, of shows that are upcoming. Find us wherever you find your other favorite podcasts on all podcatchers out there. This is Ro from the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. And remember, it's always sunny on Scarif. And that's the Felber Carb. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Just wanted to remind you all, we can be found wherever you find your other favorite shows. iTunes, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Podchaser, Backtracks FM, Podtail, Owltail, Google Podcast, and of course, our own Red5Network.com to name a few. And don't forget to drop us a voicemail at 773-234-8659, our Scuttlebutt hotline. We want to hear what's on your mind. Your call is very important to us. Let us know what you think of the show, what future topics we should tackle, or just to say, hello there. Please hold.